Chapter Three of the Andes and the Amazon. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Andes and the Amazon by James Orton. Chapter Three. Quito is better known than Ecuador. Its primeval history, however, is lost in obscurity. In the language of Prescott. The myths of fable have settled as darkly round its history as round that of any nation, ancient or modern, in the old world. Founded, nobody knows when, by the kings of the Quitus, it was conquered about the year 1000 by a more civilized race, the Kara nation, who added to it by conquest and alliance. The fame of the region excited the cupidity of the Incas of Peru, and during the reign of Cacha, 1475, Huayna Capac the Great moved his army from Cusco, and by the celebrated Battle of Hatantaki, in which Cacha was killed, Quito was added to the realm of the Incas. Huayna Capac made Quito his residence, and reigned there thirty-eight years, the most brilliant epoch in the annals of the city. At his death his kingdom was divided, one son, Atahualpa, reigning in Quito and Huascar at Cusco. Civil war ensued, in which the latter was defeated, and Atahualpa was chosen Inca of the whole empire. 1532. During this war Pizarro arrived at Tumbes. Everybody knows what followed. Strangled at Cajamarca, the body of Atahualpa was carried to Quito, the city of his birth, in compliance with his dying wish and buried there with imposing obsequies. Refounded by Benalcazar in fifteen thirty four, Quito was created an imperial city by Charles V seven years later. It formed part of Peru till seventeen ten, then of Santa Fe till seventeen twenty two, and again of Peru till its independence. The power of Spain in South America was destroyed at the Battle of Ayacucho, december ninth, eighteen twenty four. In 1830, Venezuela separated from Colombia, and Ecuador followed the same year. The first Congress was held in Riobamba, but Quito has ever since been the political focus. The first president was General Flores. Under the diadem of the Incas, Quito assumed a magnificence which it never saw before and has not displayed since. It was the worthy metropolis of a vast empire stretching from the equator to the desert of Atacama, and walled in by the grandest group of mountains in the world. On this lofty site, which amid the Alps would be buried in an avalanche of snow, but within the tropics enjoys an eternal spring, palaces more beautiful than the Alhambra were erected, glittering with the gold and emerald of the Andes. But all this splendor passed away with the scepter of Atahualpa. Where the pavilion of the Inca stood is now a gloomy convent, and a wheat field takes the place of the Temple of the Sun. The colonial history of this favorite spot is as lifeless as the history of Sahara. Not a single event occurred of which even Spain can be proud. Not a monument was raised which reflects any credit upon the mother country. Everything was prescribed by law, and all law emanated from a tribunal five thousand miles distant. 
there was no relation of private life with which the government did not interfere what the colonist should plant and what trade he should follow where he should buy and where he should sell how much he should import and export and where and when he should marry were regulated by the council of the indies and the inquisition in the words of a native writer the great majority of the people knew nothing of sciences events or men their religion consisted of outward observances and an imperfect knowledge of the papal bulls their morality in ascetism and devotion to their king their philosophy in the subtleties of aristotle their history in the history of the mother country their geography in the maps of spanish america and of spain their press in what sufficed to print billheads and blank forms their commerce in an insignificant coasting trade their ambition and the highest aspirations in titles of nobility their amusements in bullfights the arrival of a male was an event of great moment and with ringing of bells was received the cajon de espana which announced the health of the sovereigns thus while europe was passing through the stormy times of louis the fourteenth while the philosophical writings of the illustrious men of those times found their way into the remotest corners of the globe while the english colonies of north america conquered their independence while the old world was drenched in blood to propagate the ideas which the french revolution had proclaimed the presidency of quito walled in by its immense cordilleras and the ocean and ruled by monkish ignorance and bigotry knew as little of men and events as we now know of men and events in the moon from an iron despotism which existed for three centuries quito passed to a state of unbridled licentiousness without any political experience whatever the people attempted to lay the foundation of a new system of government and society with head and hearts perverted by monkish superstition and spanish tyranny yet set on fire by the french revolution what did they know of liberty endless civil wars have followed independence political ambition says the late united states minister personal jealousies impractical theories official venality reckless disregard of individual rights and legal obligations foolish meddling in empirical legislation and an absolute want of political morality form the principal features of their republican history to-day they tread on the dust of an ancient race whose government was in every respect a complete contrast to their own at the foot of volcanic pichincha only five hours travel from its smoking crater lies the city above the clouds the navel of the world magnificent quito on the north is the plain of rumibamba the battlefield where gonzalo pizarro routed the first viceroy of peru and the scene two centuries later of the nobler achievements of la condamine which made it the classic ground of astronomy on the southern edge of the city rises panaceo reminding one of mount tabar by its symmetrical form and overlooking the beautiful and well-watered plain of Tordobamba. On the east flows the Rio Machangara, and just beyond it stand the Pongasi hills hiding the Chio Valley, while the weary sun goes early to rest behind the towering peaks of Pichincha.
so encircled is this sequestered spot the traveller approaching by the waikil road sees only a part of it and is disappointed and even when standing on panacea with the entire city spread out before him he is not wholly satisfied buried between treeless sombre sierras and isolated from the rest of the world by impassable roads and gigantic cordilleras Quito appears to us of the commercial nineteenth century as useless as the old feudal towns perched on the mountains of middle europe not a chimney rises above the red-tiled roofs telling of homely hearths beneath no busy hum greets the ear there are bugles instead of spindles and jingling church bells in place of rattling carriages the wandering eye does not look for a railroad or a telegraph for even the highways such as they are seem deserted and save the music made for soldiers and saints all is silent the very mountains too with their snow-mantled heads and their sides scarred by volcanic eruptions and ruptured by earthquake shocks have a melancholy look in the words of a great artist they look like a world from which not only the human but the spiritual presences have perished and the last of the archangels building the great andes for their monuments have laid themselves down to eternal rest each in his snow-white shroud but let us enter passing the ruined chapel del senor del buen pasaje and crossing by a substantial stone bridge the little machangara hastening to pay tribute to the pacific we leave behind us the dirty dilapidated suburbs of the capital soon we cross another bridge the bridge of buzzards spanning a deep ravine and gallop through the plaza de santo domingo very different are the sights and sounds from the stir and style of central park the scene has a semi-oriental cast half indian half egyptian as if this were the confluence of the marignon and the nile groups of men not crowds for there is plenty of elbow-room in ecuador in gay ponchos stand chatting in front of little shops or lean against the wall to enjoy the sunshine beggars in rags or sackcloth stretch forth their leprous hands for charity monks in white and canons in black walk in the shade of immense hats shoeless soldiers saunter to and fro indians from the mountains in every variety of costume cluster around heaps of vegetables for sale women in red brown and blue frocks are peddling oranges and alligator pears or bearing huge burdens on their heads children guiltless of clothing and obtuse donkeys wander whithersoever they will and water carriers filling their jars at the fountain start off on a dog trot we cross the plaza diagonally pass down the calle de san fernando up the calle de algador and through the busy calle del correo until we reach the casa francis opposite the mansion of the late general flores this is our hotel owned by a frenchman but kept by an indian we ride under the low archway bowing with ill grace like all republicans unaccustomed to royalty tie our beasts in the courtyard ascend to our spacious quarters on the second floor and ordering coffee seat ourselves on the beautiful balcony to talk of quito and quitonians quito 
though not the highest city on the globe is two thousand feet higher than the hospice of great st bernard on the alps which is the only permanent place of abode in europe above six thousand five hundred feet when mr hasarek was appointed united states minister to ecuador he thanked mr lincoln for conferring upon him the highest gift in his power the main result of our numerous observations with green standard barometer places the grand plaza nine thousand five hundred twenty feet above the sea or fifty feet lower than the calculation of humboldt water boils at a hundred and ninety four point five degrees cusco in potosi may surpass it in altitude but there is not a city in the world which can show at once such a genial climate such magnificent views and such a checkered history it is unique likewise in its latitude lying only fifteen miles below the equator no other capital comes within three hundred miles of the equinoctial line whatever may have been the plan of quito in the days of winacapac it is evident that the spanish founders were guided more by the spurs of pichincha than by astronomy the streets make an angle of forty-five degrees with the meridian so that not a single public building faces any one of the four cardinal points of the compass two deep ravines come down the mountain and traverse the city from west to east they are mostly covered by arches on which the houses rest but where they are open they disclose as fit representatives of the place of torment as the valley of hinom the outline of the city is as irregular as its surface it encloses one square mile twenty streets all of them straighter than the apostolic one in damascus cross one another very nearly at right angles none of them are too wide and the walks are painfully narrow but thanks to garcia moreno they are well paved the inequality of this site and its elevation above the machangara render the drainage perfect the streets are dimly lighted by tallow candles every householder being obliged to hang out a lantern at seven p m unless there is moonshine the candles however usually expire about ten o'clock there are three squares plaza mayor plaza de san francisco and plaza de santo domingo the first is three hundred feet square and adorned with trees and flowers the others are dusty and unpaved being used as market-places where indians and donkeys most do congregate all the plazas have fountains fed with pure water from pichincha few buildings can boast of architectural beauty yet quito looks palatial to the traveller who has just emerged from the dense forest on the coast crossing bridgeless rivers floundering over bottomless roads and ascending and descending immense mountains he is astonished to find such elegant edifices and such a proud aristocracy in this lofty lap of the andes the indian habitations which girdle the city have no more architectural pretensions than an arab dwelling they are low mud hovels the scene within and without of dirt and disorder as we approach the grand plaza the centre of the city the buildings increase in size style and finish the ordinary material is adobe not only because it is cheap but also because it best resists earthquake shocks fear of a terremoto has likewise led to a massiveness in the construction which is 
slightly ludicrous when we see the poverty which it protects the walls are often two or three feet thick the ground floor is occupied by servants whose rooms small enough to be called niches surround the paved courtyard which is entered from the street by a broad doorway within this court is sometimes a fountain or flower plot around it are arches or pillars supporting a gallery which is a passageway to the apartments of the second story all the rooms are floored with large square bricks with few exceptions the only windows are folding glass doors leading to balconies overhanging the pavement the tiled roofs project far over into the street and from these project still farther uncouth water spouts such as used to be seen in rio janeiro but now have been banished to the antiquarian museum only three or four private residences rise above two stories the shops are small affairs akin to the cupboards of damascene merchants half a dozen modern ladies can keep out any more customers the door serves as entrance exit window and showcase the finest structures cluster around the plazas here are the public buildings some of them dating back to the times of philip the second they are modelled after the old spanish style there is scarcely a fragment of gothic architecture they are built of large brick or a dark volcanic stone from pichincha the government house which serves at once as white house and capital is an imposing edifice fronting the grand plaza and adorned with a fine colonnade on its right rises the cathedral on the left stands the unpretending palace of the nuncia the former would be called beautiful were it kept in repair it has a splendid marble porch and a terrace with carved stone balustrade the view above was taken from this terrace the finest facade is presented by the old jesuit church which has an elaborate front of porphyry the church of san francisco built by the treasures of atahualpa discovered by an indian named katuna is the richest it is surmounted by two lofty towers and the interior is a perfect blazing of gilding the monastery attached to it is one of the largest in the world but the greater part of it is in ruins and one of the wings is used as a barrack those unsightly unadorned convents which cling to every church save the cathedral have neutralized nearly all architectural effect. End of chapter 3 Recording by Nissa Schmidt